Hiya, dames and daddios, and welcome to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. radio program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the marvelous Marvel film and television community. My name is Matt, and joining me once again is the man who's the hopped-up hipster who just says no to a deck of luckies. It's Pete. What's razzing your berries? Hey there, guys and gals. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 703, Alien Commies from the Future. It's brought to you by Conway Auto, where it's time to draft those days of thunder, birds. Pete, so glad to be back talking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as they have done the time jump. And uh, the ratings, not that good. Again, not a problem. It's like a point three, less than 2 million viewers. Uh, but uh, who cares? They don't matter, Matt, because right now you can circle August 12th. That's a Wednesday on your calendar for your Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., series finale parties thank you to the confirmation from shield uh effects boss mark kolpak there that episodes uh 712 and 713 are going to air the same night so i'm glad to hear that it's at least tentatively a a two-hour big thunderous finale uh and you know this certainly a show that we love and pete in these in these times where I think we're all appreciating being able to take a break from this increasingly challenging world, uh, you know, glad to be here talking S.H.I.E.L.D., glad to be creating stuff, and uh, definitely have to welcome the ladies from the Felinda cast into the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcasting family. I'm talking Jen Phillips, I'm talking Tina, and the rest of those ladies. Uh, really, really fun podcast, and uh, just, you know, welcome, Agents, welcome. Absolutely. It's great to see people just go out and do things, man. When we catch you up on what went down, an owl hoots in the desert as two teeny boppers stargaze from the back of a flatbed truck. But just when the boy goes to put the moves on the girl, the Zephyr one appears overhead and falls fast. I love here, by the way, that... uh... He is the doe-eyed uh, stargazer, and she thought they were there for other reasons. Um, you know, a little, little empowerment there. Um, Zephyr One arriving with that whoosh and a flash, and the scream, the, the, the 50s sci-fi teen scream from the two of them. Uh, inside Zephyr One, we're told that it pulled out of a dive by the autopilot. Next time, they'll need to be in the air for the jump. Uh, so I like a that we continue to define the rules of you know time jumping and all that, and b that they at least they the show took the time to show our heroes kind of um, you know still learning those rules. Uh, the cloak gets engaged. Everyone is okay. It's a moment of sadness that Enoch isn't there. Uh, but where are they? Wait, there's no GPS to connect to. However, they listen to a radio revealing that the new 55 Thunderbird is on sale. Pete. That means that they're in 1955. They don't run into uh, Marty and Doc there, okay? Uh, but they are just north, Coulson confirms, of Groom Lake, Nevada, home of Area 51, as we head into, I, I hope this is the staple throughout the season, get another fantastic title card here, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the big sci-fi type of uh, title card. 
Mark Kolpak, as you mentioned, the VFX guru, he uh, he was asked about the, the VFX work for these title cards, and he said for the ones that have been shown so far, uh, they were done by the editorial department, not VFX, which if you think about it for a second, oh, they're kind of static visual creations, so of course it kind of would be an editorial thing. Um, he said, but we have, we, VFX, have some great stuff ahead, so... Pete, that means at least there's, you know, there's at least one more title card ahead and it's going to have, you know, sparks or zooms or gears or whatever it might be. So, so fantastic days ahead. The floor in a room lights up and the chronicops are there with a woman in a futuristic outfit. Dole tells her that shield agents followed them like parasites, which she said was a possibility. Dole also says that S.H.I.E.L.D. has yet to discover their ship, which conceivably they're aboard there, thus giving them an advantage. And Abel said that they could have eliminated S.H.I.E.L.D. when Kane was in their captivity. They should be set to detonate and not self-destruct. But Sybil, the woman, counters by explaining that that would leave Chekhov's advanced tech scattered across the past, and Dole says that's why Abel is a mere hunter and Sybil their predictor, their only predictor, as she spreads her hands here and examines what would seem to be time streams that they must be delicate with. Uh, they talk a little bit about Helios. Can it be the proper plan? She says, yes, a brutal and exacting plan. Uh, I like that as this scene ends uh, in camera, in the real in the real world, uh, the lights kind of go off, kind of vaguely gave me the impression maybe they are meeting in person on a ship. Maybe it's some sort of holographic waypoint, something like that. Whatever it was, it was kind of, it was weird enough where they're actually turning out the lights and the camera's capturing it, that kind of thing. Uh, back to Zephyr 1, Director Mack reaffirms that S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't there to shoot first and ask questions later. Mack makes sure that Daisy is in line, and he dresses down Deke, the former CEO and now a get-in-line agent. Uh, Simmons notes that they are drafting behind the Chronicoms. Pete, no end to the metaphors and figurative language to make sure that we all understand the timey-wimeyness of this all. Uh, they follow the Chromacons. However, they will always be a step behind. They're, this might be the last jump, or perhaps more of many. Who can say in the third episode of a 13-episode season whether this is the last jump? I just We can't possibly know. There's no advance poster of Deke dressed like he's in the 70s, but <laughs> no one can say. Moving forward, not backward, which we're told takes up more of the monolith, uh, so not that they can't do backward jumps, I think interesting as well, uh, but that they are more costly here. Um, and Mac wants to go on the offensive in order to end the mission. Um, Deke says that Zephyr One can scan for their ship, and Coulson reports that Area 51 and all the other areas our shield bases, which confirms conspiracy Daisy's theories. And uh, Simmons explains that Groom Lake experimented in early space tech and electromagnetics and liquid oxygen, 
and Colson adds that uh, the archives here have a bit about a classified project called Helios, which Simmons IDs as an early attempt at an ion fusion reactor that was never fully realized, was mothballed, but Deke says in his future, ion fusion was used to power all the big ship-to-ship weapons. What better way for the Chronicoms to stop S.H.I.E.L.D. from following them? So we've set the stakes and that S.H.I.E.L.D. needs to get to it first. And Pete, I just can't help but connect the dots. Two scenes ago, the Chronicops were talking about mysterious Helios. Now the Helios Project explained to us. I'm glad the goodies and baddies alike are on the same page there. We move to the flying rocket diner where Mac and Yo-Yo are eating. He notes her hands. Let's not forget, exchange the robot ones for, I guess, less robotic, more, more natural ones. Um, she shares with him that her go fast isn't working. It makes her feel vulnerable at another table. Colson and Daisy are eating too, talking about, uh, how, uh, off may seems, uh, Colson wistfully notes that this is the golden age of the space race. And, uh, Daisy nods towards the quite segregated bathrooms, reminding him and indeed all of us that, uh, the, the grand old fifties were not uh, always that grand. Were the Zuckerman sisters time travelers? Are they, Matt? We'll examine that later on. The number of particularly prescient references in this episode or just coincidence. Just then, Colson IDs their mark as he enters that of General Sharp of the Department of Defense. Daisy spikes the coffee creamer. And later, Mac and Yo-Yo have an unconscious sharp in a makeshift tent they have erected in the Zephyr One uh, Bay to maintain their cover. You know what I appreciate about what you just summarized there? Uh, the show cuts out the... Um... Here's what I'm trying to say, Pete. The show would have been slightly slower if it was, oh, no, our friend has fallen asleep. Don't worry, waitress. We will take him to the doctor. Like, there's nothing to be gained by that. Just, hey, we know Daisy just, you know, dosed him, cut to him out and and our agents continuing their agency work. Um, It's 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 very uh, efficient storytelling. Um, We the story, etc., move out of the uh, army tent into the tech deck as May arrives. Uh, it is affirmed to her it's 1955. Uh, she's told that Colson and Simmons are on the way to the base. Uh, Colson took uh, the Secretary of Defense's ID. Um, that was simple enough. Swap out Sharp for Colson. Colson now playing Sharp. For Simmons, though, they needed to be creative dangling pete what that could possibly mean because they know it's not the end of the act yet and we need something good at the end of this at the end of this first act yes as colson introduces himself as sharp to an mp there and wait your secretary can't go in uh no 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 uh 1955 uh cro-magnon this is not my secretary it is my boss Margaret Carter of S.H.I.E.L.D. She doesn't need to be on the list. A reminder, Agent Carter now streaming on Disney Plus with the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek on FantasticGeek.com and Apple Podcasts. 
seamless, Pete, seamless. Hopefully we haven't seen the last of Agent Carter. Uh, after the act break in the S.H.I.E.L.D. base, Simmons, Carter, is so impressed. Is that a communicator watch? Imagine one day when people might wear these on their wrists. Oh, and look, there's Helios. Uh, no, these... be before you get to Helios, let's not fail to mention Chekhov's electro electromagnetic pulse discharger. That is true. You know, Pete, it was so, I don't want to say well hidden, because that would run contrary to the idea of a Chekhov's something. But Those uh, reds it... are sneaky, man. They'll put things, those those writery reds in particular, they'll put things right at the beginning of an episode that need to go off toward the end. Uh, as Chekhov himself would say, da. Um, also, there's Helios, and the uh, the scientist giving the tour says that Coulson uh, is uh, is a real jokester. Of course, this isn't Helios. It's the one twentieth model. The real one is in the field. Pete, we talk oftentimes about effortless exposition. Here, you have it. You have the joke of the communicator watch, which, to my knowledge, for this episode is not a payoff. It's just a. It doesn't have a payoff. It's just a joke. You have the. EMP inserted there as part of the weird tech that everybody has. Uh, then you have, you know, Coulson making the faux pas, which leads the opportunity for everybody, audience included, to be told, no, there's a giant thing out back where we're going to have, I don't know, the climax of the episode in about 45 minutes. Yes. And uh, maybe the uh, animation of it did not yet exist at this point. <laughs> but uh you know, moving around the, the tour here by Dr. Vega in the lab, he explains that uh, Helios could power a space station in perpetuity, um, that all the military police live on the base, that the science team enters daily. Coulson and Simmons, uh, Sharp and Carter, need to, of course, question them it's all routine before that afternoon's test yes that afternoon's test uh they know infinitely more about what's going on here as colson adjusts his glasses and has some spy tech of his own taking a photo of the doctor for deke and daisy inside zephyr one which narratively is a nice way to keep the two stories connected uh, as compelling as the, you know, sh sharp under uh, under watch uh, subplot is. It's it's just a nice way to, if only to transition from one thing to another. I don't know that there's a ton of information along the way where it's like, oh, man, you know, this information transfers is not completely necessary is what I'm trying to say. But it's a good way to keep the stories connected. Um, we move to Sharp, who's blubbering, no, no, don't, you know, whatever. Um, but that's all an act. He tells the commie scum he won't break. Uh, Pete, some some slurs given by him, which I, <laughs> I, I dare say we shan't repeat. Uh, but uh, Sharp, clearly not a good guy. General Gerald Sharp, Matt, let's say it with the respect he might have once demanded before he revealed himself to be uh, a bigot and a xenophobe. Um, he even insults Mac there once he's gone through yo-yo. Uh, he wrote the field manual on interrogation and resistance, so they're really going to need to work overtime on him. Simmons tells Colson that rooting out the Chronicom imposters might be difficult amongst these scientists, uh, but he says that they merely need to test them to see if they're human. So 
jokes here about the number of fingers held up. Uh, John Wayne, Casablanca, Moist, uh, ultimately lead to the uh, the bus coming in with VIPs that Coulson needs to go clear as Agent Daniel Sousa steps out of a car and learns from an MP that Peggy Carter beat him there. And, hey, he knows her. Uh, we, of course, can can know the conflict which is ahead because we've watched Agent Carter, we've podcasted Agent Carter, and the fact that Sousa and, uh, and Carter worked hand-in-hand, hand, uh, there's inherent conflict ahead. Back to Zephyr 1. Deke and Daisy are looking over some of those old-timey documents. Uh, Deke is upset that he was asked to shoot a kid, uh, indeed, Kid Malik, uh, in the last episode. Uh, even though he will grow up to be the Grand Wizard of Hydra, uh, Daisy affirms that that is a bad thing, so say we all, uh, both the Hydra part and the Grand Wizard part. Um, Pete, Deke has grown up a bit here from when we first met him, and hey, what's that? Is that Sousa's file? Cut to Sousa! You see, they did their Pete, they found info on him, then the story returned to him. What's he doing? Well, Simmons uh, is in the lab there, sprechen sie Deutsch, with the scientist, and Sousa comes along here to have her turn around and understand it is not who he thought he was going to see. He's just flown in from L.A., where he runs the SSR office. You know, the, the challenge in writing a scene like this that the Zuckermans really, really navigate well is that you don't make it a thing where you saw Agent Carter and you know this, yet at the same time take the S.H.I.E.L.D. audience who might not have gotten around to that yet uh, and be able to understand what's going on particularly integrating a star from the other show. Yeah. I hadn't fully considered until you pointed that out, that this scene plays two ways for the fans of the agent Carter show. You know that there's a train wreck that's being barreled towards. And the fact that the act does not end with that, it only heightens the tension. If you did not know that Sousa knew Carter, then it's just kind of a, you still know that there's a certain level of the stakes being raised and we're on thin ice, but it's not this, oh my goodness, Sousa is setting a trap because he calls out for Agent Carter and she says, in the flesh, he says, glad to put a face to the name. So, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. only fans know that the name and the face are not accurate. Agent Carter TV show fans know that he's now playing playing his chess game far ahead uh, that of Simmons as we hit that act break. When we continue here, uh, he, of course, playing the game that he's never met her uh, and that she's explaining that the base may be infiltrated under their noses before he arrests her. On board the bus, Coulson is asking if they don't just like Ike, if they love him, who their matinee idols are, and even runs the turtle test on an old lady. Sousa arrives just in time to apprehend that sick, sick man, and Coulson snaps a photo of Agent Sousa, of whom he's a big fan on his classes. Uh, 
On Zephyr 1, Deke is searching pictures, trying to find those shield bigwigs, indeed confirming many of these pictured people uh, are high up in shield. May returns, uh, having been slurred by, uh, by the general. Maybe it's time for Deke to get in there. Pete, a very well captured moment where Deke, who of course, as someone from the future, someone who is unconcerned with the apparent differences amongst the human race, uh, standing in here as a metaphor for white privilege, not that is not recognized as white privilege. Uh, we have uh, the other agents who kind of need to spell it out to him why he's going to be able to hopefully make inroads with the general where May and uh, Daisy and Mac cannot. Sousa orders answers as to how Simmons and Coulson broke in when he finds Daisy posing as CIA. She gets him to avoid confirming her ID in D.C. with the embarrassing details. Of course, she knows all about his exploits, his military past, his injury and accomplishments when he worked at Isodyne Energy and took down Hugh Jones and the Council of Nine. And those are only the investigations she's clear to talk about that aired on ABC several seasons ago. Indeed. I wish, you know, she makes reference to how her initials are CIA. I wish that we could have seen her business card or something like that. I'm reminded of the great, great bit of wordplay in one of the James Bond books where James Bond is uh, saying that he, uh, he needs to meet up with a girl named Felicia and whoever's on the other end, I think it's M or whatever, saying, Felicia, you know, get back to work. And he's saying, no, Felicia, let me spell it out. F-E-L-I, as in Felix Leiter, C-I-A. Um, and I just wish we could have had a little whiff of that where it's, you know, whatever, C-I-A as the initials and, and whatnot. Why C-I-A. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Um, back in the Zephyr One tent, Deke walks in. He slow claps. Sharp lost him a bet. Got to be careful when they're testing their own. Uh, Sharp is glad to meet the man in charge. Ah, Pete. How shocked Sharp would be to find out that Deke is low man on the totem pole and shield. Uh, anyhow, can't they collaborate on the security of Helios? Pete, Deke pushing perhaps a little bit too fast here. And Sharp tells him to go screw won't fall for the apparent Russian ruse here. And oh yeah, Helios is about as functional as a paperweight because nothing is, on Earth is powerful enough to get it up to velocity. That gets Deke thinking, reports back to the tech deck to the rest about uh, Helios and how only a Chronicom could power it, you know, after Enoch had used himself as a power source, you know, way back when. It'll create a bomb with a blast radius of miles that'll take out the entire brain trust of S.H.I.E.L.D. Time to call in the cavalry. That's what we call May Deke. Uh, on the base, Dr. Vega showing off that watch, you know, 50, 60 years ahead of its time, uh, while in the background he's missing out, but we see... Uh, there's a lady Chronicom who is prepping Helios with her bleep bloop finger and uh, lights going from red to green and so forth as we hit the act break. Act four begins with May and Yo-Yo impeccably disguised as female pilots making their way to the lab to gas scientists and ascertain the target. They put on their masks and a great effect shot here of the gas grenades 
going in, uh, the camera perspective, you know, just flawless. Meanwhile, Sousa takes Daisy to Coulson and Simmons. Uh, Coulson and Simmons now having been captured. Um, he's going to remain for their questioning, but all of a sudden red lights go off. There's a switcheroo. Coulson putting Sousa into the lockbox. So Sousa trapped. Our agent's now free. Uh, in the headquarter room, which in no way is a redress of the lighthouse um, headquarter room, which in no way was a redress of the Rockbreaker's office at the beginning of season five, uh, as Jamie Patton pointed out on Twitter, you it, it's never a redress when you see the exact same yellow handrails <laughs> in a in a large split level uh, set. Um, but in this headquarter room, May and Yo-Yo see everyone running out, but not the Chronicom. Pete, the Chronicom, not bothered by the uh, by the the gas canister there proof of her chronicomness uh may starts to panic uh with that the chronicom is sighted yo-yo tries to burst she's able to slow down time at least her perspective of it but still cannot run um it's the chronicom running while may hyperventilates uh, they step out of the room why did may freeze she doesn't want to talk about it why didn't yo-yo zoom she doesn't want to talk about it pete they gotta open up and be honest here i know it's a stressful moment gotta open up and share and has uh, theory implications moving forward. We'll talk about in a little bit. On the testing range, Helios turns on. Mac and Deke have to deal with Helios powering up when Sharp escapes to the tech deck here. And Mac explains by knocking him out. Out on the testing range, Dr. Vega tells Simmons they didn't start Helios. Coulson finds out where they have sent the evacuees in building J and tells him they've got to evacuate them, drive them out of there while May and Yo-Yo join up and then chase the female Chronicom who Matt, we've not noted her appearance yet. Looks an awful lot like Dottie from agent Carter uh, in a Jeep to Helios as she takes out, the two MPs there and plugs in her chest. We have an act break and then uh, a Jeep pulls up to Helios. It's May and Yo-Yo who of course were, uh, were pursuing the Chronicom notes them. She and May fight uh, in the base. Uh, they're going to go bleep the bloops and tech the tech. Then the male Chronicom comes out. He throws Daisy and that's quite a stunt moment there. Then he and Colson fight. Pete got to point out, we do have girls fight girls and boy fight boys fight boys, which yeah. tends to be a sticking point, but it is what it is, I suppose. Um, take away from the Colson Chronicom fight, once again, Colson with powers is great. I know sometimes it's Clark Gregg. I know other times you can't see Clark Gregg's face because it's the stunt double, but how did we get this far? How did we get, you know, uh, Five seasons, I know it wasn't exactly Coulson last season, blah, blah, blah. But how did we do five seasons of mild-mannered Coulson when we could have had super-powered Coulson? This is fantastic. Alarmingly strong, we keep forgetting here. There's the fight back at Helios where the cord of the plug is used uh, to strangle Yo-Yo, intercut with the hallway fight between the LMD, Coulson, and the Chronicom. Uh, Sousa interrupts it at one point, uh, finding out that the Chronicom, of course, is super strong. He gets strangled here at the other end of his cane. 
before Simmons and Daisy finally activate that EMP. Coulson also falls in addition to the Chronicoms. The woman self-destructs. We don't get to see that happen to the male because budget, because also story. We see the remains from Sim- from Simmons, from Sousa's perspective, and he calls a medic for Coulson. Good guys, huh? As his eyes blink, taking us to the tag scene. Pete, with the EMP happening here, I think in my notes I had meant to write all the robot bodies go down, but I have to share with you and with the listeners that uh, the typo or the spell check or whatever, uh, EMP done and fire, all robot booties go down, which I guess (laughs) is true as well. All them booties hit the floor. Yes. The tag here, Deke asks Mac if he's sure about what they're going to do. But Max says they must preserve the timeline. That is when Earthling General Sharp awakens in the desert as the Zephyr One spaceship, complete with a cool windshield bug eye effect there, tells him not to reveal what he's seen today under the threat of a future probing and flies off back at the diner. Sharp spins a tale of alien abduction by commies from the future. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. We'll start off with Chronicop Dole. Pete, I know this isn't the theories segment yet, but I will circle back to the theory last week, me saying, hey, hopefully the Chronicops return in some capacity. Uh, and of course they do, albeit for this one scene. Um, if we don't see either Dole or Abel again, I think it, it nonetheless was a good use of their time and good use of, you know, guest star one day payment, et cetera, et cetera, just to get them back to really offer that connection from the first two episodes to the villainous force of this week. Really exposition bots more than anything. They explain that other hunters have infiltrated the Area 51 facility and are ready to go. And of course, we have those others that we'll talk about. Sybil is an interesting character, Matt. Their only predictor, okay, we know what she is. We know that she's the only one compared to however many hunters they have access to. Her ability to look at time, that uh, there's going to be some care taken with it and a character i imagine we're going to see more of moving forward yes i would say she is the big bad uh, at least so far you know kind of in retrospect is she the one who sent the hunters to 1933 i think we could maybe infer that or she had a hand in sending them and whatnot so she the face of evil pete in a scene let's not forget that removes dole and abel's faces while they say there are new faces so she that that through line uh, probably, though, the biggest villain in this episode, uh, General Sharp, not for what he does, but for all the terrible things he says. Yeah, uh, a bigot through and through. No wonder entrenched in the uh, arrogant American philosophy here in retrospect, not the idea of exceptionalism, but more so of superiority, something we're still kind of shaking off. 
even in 2020. Yeah, certainly. I dare say this episode is prescient, although probably the best way to look at it is the 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 new look, the new energy at at inequalities in this country that's going on now. Uh, obviously, the inequalities existed when this episode was written, when it was shot, etc. So sadly, well timed, but I think happily part of the dialogue, showing us part of the part of the way out. And as you say, Pete to follow that sense of exceptionalism where there is exceptionalism despite uh, despite differences in gender, orientation, race, and so forth, that that the message that brings our agents to, to a certain level of victory at the end of this episode. And oh, look, a uh, power-wielding female bad girl. Uh, indeed, and one, as you said, Pete, uh, who resembles Dottie from Agent Carter. Not, we're not saying it is the same actress. We're not saying there's any connection there, at least not yet. Um, perhaps uh, some similarities in, in stunt person and whatever it might be, but I don't know. I dug her robot presentation. She seemed kind of very, you know, Terminator 1984, very, there's the goal, let me silently go towards it. And, uh, well unfortunately didn't make it to the end of the episode but this is the way for baddies oftentimes welcome to level seven time to analyze and theorize matt they need to be or they should in the future be flying when they jump to avoid these free falls here okay check that one off yeah i think obviously i don't know what they are necessarily setting up for in the future to me it is a logical extra rule here it also gives them maybe you know like they got all all that you could get out of the you know three two one get ready oh no we lost enoch like all of that that was great in 702 now we kind of know for the future um you can't have that three two one countdown you need a little bit more prep time need to get in the air and all that um to me it just makes sense even if it's not a setup for things that are ahead we have the chronicom ship which we may or may not have seen the interior of not yet found we have zephyr one scanning for that uh budget constraints matt or story constraints probably a little bit of both at this point maybe they are saving some sort of amazing reveal of you know here's the crazy uh the crazy display that it you know or here's the crazy way that it appears it's some kind of you know really exotic look to it um similarly i also don't know that we need to see it um we are with the agents the agents are searching so what would you know, if we say, oh, look, it is that Bill and Ted telephone booth, or, oh, look, I know it's approximately the size of a blank, um, well, then it can't be anywhere on the flat desert terrain, you know, things like that. I think the mystery works, and if it if they entered this discussion with a budget concern, they've left with a story answer, and that, of course, is the best solution. Pete, speaking of story answers, the EMP knocks out all the robotic things, including the Chromicon robots, may not knocked out therefore may not a robot simmons neither matt which had also been the subject of some uh theories in the past so we can check those two off Whew. at least there's at least there's that level of confirmation even though of course the the concerns about may continue pete 
I know, you know, those, those Felinda ladies pointed out, May and Coulson shared a scene, no recognition, no spark, no, no nothing there. So I guess we defer more May information until the future. Moving forward in time, Matt, a thing. Moving backwards, also a thing, but harder to do. Yeah, to me, that is, that's a backstop against the biggest uh, story weakness of time travel, which we discussed in the last two weeks, being if you make a mistake, you can always go back and fix that mistake. So the idea that, hey, we have a finite amount of fuel, hopefully we get the Chronicoms this time. If not, we will follow them on the next jump. But the ability to go back and fix the mistakes that we made I read this statement in the show. It was taking off the table, the going back and fixing of mistakes. I think also, too, that gives us a handy countdown where we say, okay, 1931, now 1955, wherever we're headed, we're headed up the timeline, not back. And I think that just adds to the story fun. Got a theory for you, Matt, with Yo-Yo. We've a couple times now with her inability to uh, move quickly had the on-camera explanation and the name check of the Shrike, which matters not at all to this current season and story, and I feel is a major misdirect. Um, Could it be that perhaps in addition to her own heartbeat, which allows her to yo-yo to another place and then brings her back, there may be an additional heartbeat inside her, which is the real reason she can't move quickly. That certainly is a very, no pun intended, heartwarming theory. I think that as we increasingly get towards the end of the series, you know, and as we know that this is a serial story and know that they're going to set up the end of the last episode, they're going to start to set up things well in advance of it. Would the, would the idea of Yo-Yo and Mac settling down with the child, Mac having lost his framework child and, and all of that, uh, would that be a very, very fitting and satisfying end for her, for Mac, for them as a couple, family, etc.? Absolutely. I know that it has been pointed out that uh, Yo-Yo underwent the medical, um, the medical screening to confirm that this strike stuff was out of her. Um, I would hope that a comprehensive medical exam would include, you know, a check for pregnancy, whether it was heartbeat or, or, you know, the blood test, et cetera. That said, could they wipe all of that away by Simmons saying, Oh, well, while we were on the run, I wasn't, I didn't check for that. And furthermore, I'm a, this scientist, not a, you know, not an OB or I'm not a general practitioner. I'm not a family doctor. I'm a, you know, a biologist, et cetera, that, that sort of thing. I think the show has enough leeway where we're not going to say, wait, there was a medical scan and you tricked us or that's a loophole. Um, I hope, Pete, that this is a theory that can come true because, as I said, super satisfying potential there. All right. I'm going to give you the opportunity right now to convince me that the Zuckerman sisters who wrote this episode are not time travelers or possibly even chronicoms. Get ready for the number of things, Matt, that they predicted as many as 18 to 20 months out that we're talking about right now. I'm talking about the phrase, the new normal, uh, showing us the segregated bathrooms, talking about American arrogance, 
grand wizards, stupid white privilege, sexism, the wearing of masks, and even using the phrase, I can't breathe. As I said before, I think, unfortunately, though this feels like a very timely episode, timely in the last uh, week, month, year, uh, etc., I think that what we see here is the Zuckerman sisters and the writing room in general and the production as a whole. Um, I mean, a, if you're going to go to 1955 and you're going to bring this, this wonderfully diverse cast of characters, as we had discussed in the preview episodes, either you ignore it completely or you deal with it. Um, and the show better off for dealing with it, not having some sort of golden age space race. Hey, everything's great. Um, presentation side note, that kind of golden age presentation that there was more often than not in agent Carter, um, the show. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think unfortunately the sisters at all are tapping into these problems that, you know, if nothing else, 2020 is revealed to us. These are problems. These are views. These are, these are systemic baked in things that have been there, even though we kind of, uh, forgot it or thought that we were past it or said, well, that's not here. That's somewhere else. Uh, the fact that it's closer to us than we think is, is a sad truth. And, you know, we get the happy ending in this episode. We get Mac punching sharp in the face and things like that. The real world require, requiring a different kind of work to, to solve these problems long-term. So Sousa brings up that he had tipped off the CIA. And in fact, he expects that Daisy has responded to his uh, tip about infiltration within S.H.I.E.L.D. Of course, Hydra at this point in 1955, I think an interesting kind of a, a wedge to bring in as far as story is concerned. Yes, and also a story mechanism by which the uninitiated, those who did not watch Agent uh, Carter, uh, can know that he is a good guy because here he has early, early, early concerns about Hydra, something that nobody saw coming until, you know, until the Hydra reveal of the, the mid-2010s. So it, it plants Sousa clearly on the, 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 the right side of history when it comes to Hydra and therefore quickly says to people who are new to him, in the audience uh he's a good guy daisy recaps for our shield audience like we said might not be infinitely and intimately aware of the agent carter storylines about susa's involvement with isodyne and hugh jones and the council of nine uh we gonna we gonna pick up on any of those threads Maybe. I mean, we're, we're what? We're about seven years after in, in show chronology in 1955. We're about seven years after the uh, after the Agent Carter show. Uh, we, we may have that sort of synergy. Pete, I wonder if in future episodes, will we have synergy where, you know, where we get a commercial break during Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. talking about Agent Carter on Disney Plus? Um Maybe we get synergistic, synergistic in that department as well. We have uh, this Dottie-looking Chronicom. It just feels like both from a reference standpoint, uh, verbally and visually, and obviously the time frame, we're, we're connecting back to Agent Carter. Yeah, and uh, 
Pete, I won't say too much. I know I, I, I spilled a little last week as a result of having watched the preview for this episode. I did not see the preview for next week, but I did come across something which I, I assume people who are into spoilers as might have been wild, uh, wildly known a while ago. Uh, but uh, let me let me put it this way, Pete. I read something that made me think that there are some there are some great times ahead while we're in what I assume is this time period. Uh, and I don't know. Week after week this season is just so much fun. Uh, as has been said before, I think season seven already, just after these three episodes, is superior to season six and maybe season five as well. We are in this pattern where we seem to stay in a time frame for two episodes. Um, this giving them the opportunity to keep Enver Jokai as Susa for at least another episode unique presentation of next week's episode i'll i'll stop there in terms of uh spoiling but will we retroactively fix the cliffhanger that agent carter ended with i mean how could you not it could be solved and i guess pete i don't know let's assume that that maybe the listener does not fully know how agent carter ended either because they need to go back and rewatch or they've never seen before so maybe we'll tread lightly here and not spell out spell out what it is but that cliffhanger could be solved in one line of dialogue um or it could be solved with more of an on-screen solution let's put it like that um how could you not i mean you know as marvel tv which you know when they're making this marvel tv nonetheless in this huge period of contraction and whatnot but there must be people who are saying my goodness we're time traveling we have an agent carter actor in sue in and vera jokai um in it how can you not while we're for however long we're in this time period or however long and vera jokai is on shield how can you not solve that if only with one sentence or a little bit or a phone call whatever it is yes let's fix that ending of agent carter Colson's eyes, he seems to be powering back up after the EMP, but could there be something more nefarious going on there? Well, I think you have one of three options. One is uh, powers up, no problem, which, okay, that's kind of like a lousy tag scene because next week if he goes, oh, and I'm back, you go, well, what was the cliffhanger then? Uh, second is, um, there was that switch in color, you know, blue, green, blue, green. So is Colson green somehow, uh, uh, evil and Colson blue is the good one. You know, I'm thinking Superman red, Superman blue from late nineties. Um, maybe, or there is some sort of reboot malfunction where it's going to take much of the episode to get to a point where he's back as normal Colson 2.0. I feel like that third option is probably the one best suited for uh, for a dramatic presentation. Also allows for maybe a delaying action in this time period um, to really soak up this time period. As you said, Pete, we kind of have the precedent, early precedent of a two-episode minimum. Uh, you know, this being a show on a budget, I doubt we're going to see a lot of expensive time travel week to week to week. Um, all of it points to something wacky and weird for next week. So just to be clear, Matt, you did not talk about it. So heterochromonia, um, not an option? Um, I will say no. I will say no, not for this robot uh, version of Coulson. 
the last one for me, Matt, still no fits. We are three episodes in of 13. This trope of fits missing across these final couple seasons, I think something none of us would have signed up for. No, and I hope that gets resolved sooner than not um i recall the fitz reveal at the end of last season not the end of last season fitz's reveal at the end of an episode probably 603 604 somewhere in there um it was good it was mysterious and then in the next episode we quickly had it explained and got the backstory um i guess i'm of two minds one is i enjoy the tension of where's fitz i want the whole team back together i want love restored etc um but can't you just give us fits at the beginning of the season? I guess not. Matt, want to stop and take a minute to thank all of our patrons uh, for the contributions they've made. And uh, we mentioned it last week. We'll reiterate this week that we've taken all of our uh, Patreon contributions for the month of June, and we have donated them to the half dozen charities that Clark Gregg uh, had put out through social media to benefit the various Black Lives Matters charities. Yes, super proud to have uh, to have donated towards the George Lloyd Memorial Fund, Minnesota Freedom Fund, Black Visions Collective, Reclaim the Block, Campaign Zero and Unicorn Riot, uh, and those at the uh, the social media recommendation of Clark Gregg. So it's it's fulfilling to know that in these uncertain and troubling times, that uh, Fantastic Geek and our supporters are helping make a difference across those uh, across those great charitable causes. We are proud to support them. We thank our supporters for supporting us, and uh, certainly encourage people to check out those charities as well. Transmissions. Let's check the wire. Pete, we ran our Twitter poll and hear the results. We had uh, one order of diner fries that got 6.1%. Uh, it's suspect, by the way, Pete. This was not a one, okay? This is not a season six episode. Um, two times Seuss's Tricked got 0%. Three down via EMP got 15.2%. And four Ever Shield. 78.8%, so uh, a, a higher uh, vote count than uh, than last episode. We also heard in from Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Poll in 1983. Good to see Sousa back from Agent Carter. Coulson will always be a fanboy. They are keeping the writing very tight this year, and it is relevant and timely. Really love what they're doing this year. Uh, we also heard from AKA Frank Castle. That's at DJ underscore black, B L I K three, five, seven. He said just one word to describe this awesome episode. Woke. Uh, we also heard from ZP international fun episode guessing. They will still be in 1955 next week. Looks like Sousa won't be around much longer. That wonderful 1950s title card. Um, Pete, I'll just mention all I know about this season is that towards the end of it, when they handed out season um, uh, gifts to the cast and crew, uh, which were in the form of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. bicycles, I know Enver Jokai got a bicycle. I would assume he's in more than next week, but I'm pinning that on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. bicycle, so I know that that's not a great foundation there. <laughs> a great predictor. <laughs> yeah. Um, Two-wheeled two vehicles. <laughs> um 
last tweet here from Nobel Prize winner that's at uh, K-C-L-Y-L-E-1. Uh, I know the ratings don't matter, but how are people not watching this show? Nice to see Sousa, but it would have been uh, great for even a quick scene with the real Agent Carter. Pete, I would stay, say, fingers crossed, and maybe stay tuned. Yeah, I think it would be a, a good piece of advice indeed. Uh, I don't know, to reference the poll here and obviously the comments to it, I don't know how you could even objectively look at the three episodes thus far and, and can't see this one as head and shoulders above them. Um, you know, just the, the kitschiness. We've, we've found our rhythm uh, more dynamic in, in terms of all the, the storytelling going on. A little less depressing of a time frame, I think, helps as well to be able to tell story and to have some fun with it. Pete, to the email inbox we go. We heard from 084, who says this of the episode. I'm still processing, but this was maybe my favorite episode in years. It mixed everything good about the older, mission-oriented episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D. with all the threats and tools that have been piling up in the last few seasons. I like that they brought Sousa in as an obstacle at first, but it'll be fun to hopefully have him allied with the team in later episodes. The line, she couldn't stay with Rick, she had to go with Victor, really gave me vibes of what I'm sure Sousa experienced when Cap showed up to get Peggy back in whatever timeline that would have happened. Uh, I do like that he was off to Hydra. Uh, he was on to Hydra infiltrating S.H.I.E.L.D. all the way back here in 55. Although I wonder if that means he was one of the Winter Soldier's earliest victims off screen. Simmons getting her Agent Carter on was fun. And it makes sense that in this age where word of mouth was bigger than everything else, she would be able to get away with it until running to someone who actually knew Peggy. She gets less and less robotic in every episode since the season six finale. But then again... Uh, Coulson isn't exactly robotic either, so I'm still Team LMD Fitzsimmons. Other things I enjoyed, Simmons finding out where in time they are with the radio. Seems like something I would have done. The deeper look into the past white supremacy and the line stupid white privilege. The continued storyline of Daisy getting opportunities to destroy the organization that turned both her parents into monsters. The after effects of season six on May and Yo-Yo. The idea that EMPs are the best weapon against Chromicons. Side note, Ada had EMP-proof batteries even before Radcliffe got a hold of the Darkhold. Why are the Chronicoms not as smart as Radcliffe? All in all, it was a great and fun episode and exactly the kind of content I wanted from this season. Can't wait to see where the Coulson cliffhanger leads and how they get him back from S.H.I.E.L.D. before that ripple turns into a wave. Until next time, true believers, Excelsior, Pete, that of course from 084. Really great deep dive on the Ada EMP proof batteries. So a good catch there. Absolutely. Pete, what do you have on your end? Well, speaking of getting caught, Matt, I, I just I, I got to come clean that uh, I was banned from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Reddit this week for perhaps the silliest reason ever. Uh, Pete, what did you do? What great offense? So as I have done for every property that we podcast, um, checking in with the Redditors prior to doing it, asked permission to post links to our podcast in addition with kind of a little 
uh, tease so that people knew what they were coming to check out. And um, early last week, I received an email uh, that I had been permanently banned from uh, Shield Reddit for violating the spam rule which is that if over 10% of my submissions and conversation are our own site content affiliate links, you're almost certainly a spammer. Um, am I a spammer, Matt? I don't think so, Pete. I think you go on Reddit to have conversations about the shows that we, we podcast. Yeah. Am I going to go on? Or are we going to go on and throw out our theories in a way that doesn't, come back to the thing that we do uh no why would you have a podcast and hey i'm gonna give you the milk uh outside of the 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 dairy uh so really kind of silly so i had responded you know i i think a permanent ban on on uh the the first time uh being notified of this is kind of silly i was told that uh the rules were the warning and that i was not reading the rules and that is my problem and not theirs and uh asked for some leniency and you know telling them that i would now that i'm aware of it follow the rules and make sure that only 10 percent refers to uh the podcast i was told that uh i could be reinstated on the final day of shields run so now we know august 12th and then that way I could participate on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Reddit for the show's final uh, moments. That seems kind of, uh, I don't know, that seems like a, like a, harsh, uh, a harsh leniency, if you want Perhaps, to call it leniency. Uh, you know, really kind of uh, power wielding? In, in terms of, you know, aren't we here to all talk about the, the thing and, and to celebrate it instead of, you know, to create a little fiefdom? Pete, I'm shocked to hear that there are people on Reddit who like to create little power corners and then become masters of their own, their own thread, etc. after the founder this week, Matt, maybe, you know, they were unaware that the founder who happens to be married to uh, Serena Williams um, gave up his seat for diversity um, and that they will hire uh, somebody to fill it of uh, a person of color. So, you know, talking about being more inclusive and having the conversation and instead, no, you're, you're posting links to a conversation that's not our conversation, so we're not going to have it. So here's what I'm going to humbly beg of our listeners. If you are on Reddit, and please, please do not start a Reddit account just to go and do this. But if you wouldn't mind posting a link to this podcast and to any of our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcasts, because we're not allowed to do it. I'm told that uh, if I go around it, it will be a, a violation. So, I mean, certainly could create another account and, and do that. But, you know, the number of times we've been told by listeners on Reddit endorsing the podcast that people would love to listen to. I mean, Matt, I, I can read a couple recent responses from posts that I had made on Reddit where people 
you know, we're fans, we're endorsing it for other people to listen to. Okay. Um, and you know, now they're not going to have that opportunity. I guess they'll just have to go to fantasticgeek.com or to Apple podcasts or to interact with us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram instead of the really no frills and, uh, less accepting platform, um, than, uh, Reddit when it's funny, you know, we had been told by some, uh, some fellow podcasters when we were guests on a, on a Star Trek podcast that Redditors could be really provincial and we hadn't yet had that experience. And now we get to check that box. So long story short, go on Reddit, link to fantastic geek podcasts. We thank you in advance. Is there a particular thread where people could help spread the word better than others? The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Reddit would, would be ideal. That's the only one we've been banned from, Matt, and we participate in quite a few. Well, certainly a, uh, a word to the wise there. Better to keep the conversation going than to shut people down. I mean, if that's not a, if that's not a theme of late in our world, I, I don't know what is. So regardless of reddit let's keep the conversation going pete how can people be in touch directly with you you know without needing to to bend the knee to the reddit man or the reddit woman or the reddit person find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 11,330 followers can't be wrong and while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Visit fantasticgeek.com. You can comment there. You can reach us on Gmail, Instagram, and Twitter, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH. Uh, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, I know next week, next Saturday, we will be back for episode 704 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Just loving that we are in this really strong final season here well loving the strength not loving the final season but such is the way of things with that pete the end has come for this episode i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word we must be delicate with time <laughs>